thank you for this morning. We invite you here uh, in a special way. We know that you are here with us all the time. We know that your spirit resides within us when we come to faith in you. We know that you're here, that you're watching, that you've promised to be with us to the very end of the age. But right now, we ask you here in a special way, just in a, a way that we really fully give our attention and our focus to you. So we pray that everything that would distract us would be silenced in our minds right now. We pray against any of the unforgiveness or the bitterness or the emotionality of the season would all kind of just, all the heat of that, you would just pour cool water on it. Just silence all that hissing and the vitriol that we hear all week in the news, on social media, everything else. Let us once again respond to you in faith, Lord Jesus, knowing that you are in control, even when it doesn't look like it sometimes. We pray that we would understand this morning how great your name is as we look at this third commandment. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. So uh, if you're old enough, if if you're a millennial or younger, you may not know about Abbott and Costello. I don't know. It's, we're getting to this age, right, where, where you're not sure if you mention something that people even know what it is. But Abbott and Costello's classic skit, Who's on First, if you remember this skit, uh, illustrates how confusing names can be. We're not going to watch the whole thing, but we're going to watch a little bit of it. That's good. All right, so that goes on for quite a while. It's one of the, yeah, just a classic comedy skit. Just the, it's, you know, and that's when humor was fun and clean and nice, and you, you could play it in front of your mom and, you know, and not be embarrassed, you know, and stuff. I, I wish we could get back to that kind of humor, but we have really uh, devolved into something else. But words and names are very important, right? If you don't fully sort of understand the context, um, it can lead to confusion. The third commandment, we're in this, this whole series about the Ten Commandments, and we're in the third commandment today, and it is about the importance of understanding a name and using it correctly. And in so doing, we avoid this situation that we as Christians don't want to find ourselves in. So turn with me to page 52 in your your uh, pew Bibles there to Exodus chapter 20 where the Ten Commandments are found. And remember, they're not only found there, they're also found in a complete set in another spot and then two par- partial sets in other, other places. But Exodus 20 is really the place that we look at the most. So page 52, Exodus 20, verse 7, just follow along as I read. It says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, I don't know if you know, but taking the Lord's name in vain was so serious in the Old Testament that it was punishable by death in Leviticus 24, uh, it tells us, which teaches Israel at the time and also us here now, even up to this point and into the future, that there should be a great honor and a great respect 
for the, the name of the Lord. We know that Proverbs 9, verse 10 states, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, we, you know, we can say that humanity progresses, right, in many different ways, technology or whatever, you know, we progress in, you know, medical inventions or what, what have you. But in morality, it seems like we just evolve over time, don't, doesn't it? We just, like, and we see this throughout history that societies just sort of cycle through and cycle through. There's nothing new right now. There's nothing new that, that's happening now that hasn't happened in the past. Even the most absurd things that we're talking about in our world right now have happened in the past. <coughs> and and it's, it's sad to watch that. And sadly, in one area, the church, the church broad, you know, in broad terms, has lost her sense of God's of the awe of God's name, of this respect, of this honor. And, and in so doing, we've, we struggle to experience the great, great glory of God today in many ways. Um, a degrading of His word and ways happens across the board, uh, and that causes this, and we end up remaking God into an idol of our own desires, a fuzzy, sort of likable puppet on a string with no real standards or will or moral conviction to speak of. And this is the problem in the church these days. Remember, in breaking any of the other commandments, uh, we automatically break the first, which is, you shall have no other gods before me. Because once we break one of the other commandments, we put ourselves in the place of God, and we put a God before God, right? But we seem to continually remake God into our own image instead of, conforming to his in the scriptures. My wife has been so encouraging to me lately, just sharing what she's learning in the scriptures, talking about just how she sees so clearly that obedience is a big deal in the scriptures. Just following after God, not obedience and like be obedient, but obedience in the sense that it really does bring us life and freedom when we walk with God well, right? So you know, it, we need to conform ourselves to what God reveals to us as his, as his people in the scriptures. And biblical Christians who grasp this and live out of this healthy respect of God's name are truly the salt and life of, of the earth, preserving truth while we await Christ's return and we, we participate in our calling as a result. But in earlier in Exodus chapter 3, if you remember... God had commanded Moses to go and speak to the Israelites. And they were in this storm of slavery in e Egypt. They were under, the, under uh, you know, this, this oppression. And God was going to free them. He was going to use Moses to rescue them, to, to call them out of Egypt to freedom once more. And, and that is exactly what he did. And if you remember, he begins the Ten Commandments with this reminder of that rescue. And it is a precursor to the gospel. If you've been here for the last two weeks, it, it shows us that it's a precursor or, or a foreshadowing of the gospel in many, many ways. And at the time, uh, Moses asked God in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, he goes to him and he says, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your forefathers has sent me to you because that's what God was asking him to do. And they asked him, what's, uh, they asked me, what's, what's his name? Then what should I say, say to them, or what, what should I tell them, right? And God answers, I am who I am. 
All capital letters in your Bible, right? I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, in our Bibles, that, that name is written in all caps for a reason. It was God's sacred name. That's what it was. Now, in he- Hebrew, we know that that statement, I am, is a ye, it means I will be. In other words, it means that God is the one who was, who is, and forever will be. And God, God's existence doesn't, you know, sort of depend on anything or anyone else. Even time, he exists outside of that. He simply is, right? He is the beginning and the end of all things. But Moses couldn't say, aye, right, uh, you know, I am in the first person. So God gave him the form that he was supposed to say it to the Israelites in, and that is he will be, or Yahweh, in the third person, a, a name that is given over 6,500 6, times in the, in the uh, Old Testament. That's a, lot, that's a lot of times. It's an important name. This name was so sacred, as a matter of fact, that out of respect, the Israelites stopped using it. They wouldn't utter it. And they replaced it with the Hebrew word Adonai, which means Lord. And that is how we get, or that's the, what we most often use in English now is, is Lord. Lord in, in the sense of Lord of Lords or Lord of all things, right? But the Israelites went even further than that, not wanting anyone to read Scripture and accidentally say this sacred name Yahweh out loud. They took the consonants from it, Y Y H W H. And they replaced the vowels with AOA from Adonai, and they created a hybrid word, which was Yahuwah, right? And this was a word which no one actually ever really used. It was just sort of a visual reminder in the text not to say Yahweh out loud, but to say Adonai instead. I I don't fully understand all that, don't need to, I just know that it happened, right? And later on, Christians come along... And not realizing that at, at first that Yahuwah was sort of this artificial word, so it eventually entered our English as Jehovah, so uh, in, in translation. So Jehovah is not actually a real word, but it's just this made-up word. And it's also good to remember that there were two words for Lord as well. There was Lord you know, all caps in a sense, which is in reference to Adonai, Adonai or, or Yahweh, the God of all things, right? The only one true God. And then there was Lord or Adon in, uh, in, in, in the original language, which was used for people with authority over other people. And so when we see Jesus as Lord of Lords, we know what that means. And commandment number three tells us that God wants respect for his name. Thinking about this command, many people, including us, break this command quite often, don't we, if we're honest. We go so far as to even use God's name in the place of a swear word, don't we? Quite often you hear that. If you ever watch uh, evangelist Ray Comfort, his Living Waters videos as he goes out and does street evangelism, he often asks people um, if they have taken God's name in vain. It's one of the, one of the he has a few questions that he asks, and this is one of them. And, and if they're honest, they say, yeah, I've done that quite often. I just did it, you know, five minutes ago or whatever. And then he asks, well, do you love your mother? And they, of course, say yes. And uh, my mom's here. I love my mom, right? He said, they say yes. And then he asks, would you, would you use your mother's name in place of a swear word? Oh, Dell, 
Like, I would never say that my mom's first name is Dell, or middle name is Dell, actually. Um, I would never say that as a swear word, right? You know, out of respect and love for my mother, I would never use her name in such a way. And, and so he, he points out that people often do this about the God of the universe that has given you life and given you your mother and given you your children, given you your eyes and your ears and nose and all this kind of stuff. And put into context, it's obvious to see the absurdity of disrespecting God in such a way. But it's not just a matter of using the name wrongly in speech. We also take God's name in vain by failing to live a life of integrity, a life that is reflective of God's character and and, and the life that he calls us to. In proclaiming Christ, we can have all our theological ducks in a row. We can be very smart. We can memorize Scripture. We can do all this stuff. But we, if we still live a life which isn't reflective of Him in our day-to-day uh, living, it is also taking His name in vain since there, there is no integrity between stated belief and behavior. Integrity between stated belief and behavior. Stated belief, stated values. I, for, for one, I, I do not understand how any Christian can say that they are pro-choice. Sorry to get political on you. I don't get it. I don't get it. How do we ever think? I mean, do not murder is in the scriptures, and that is murder. That stated value, stated belief, and then some people live in a totally different, contradictory way to that. I just don't get it. Don't get it. Turn with me to... Ephesians chapter 2, I probably just lost a few of you, I don't know. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and as you know, this is one of my favorite passages. Page 799 in your pew Bibles, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and we're not going to read this out loud, but I want you to look at the verses as I say some things about them. Notice that in verses 1 through 3, it describes our state of being before our repentance and placing our trust in Christ that we were spiritually dead in our transgression and sin, that we were disobedient to God's commands, even if we didn't know it, that we were controlled by our own evil desires, right? Notice that. Verses 4 and 5 describe what God did for us in Christ, right? Due to His great love and great mercy, He made us alive in Christ. He did that to us. He did that for us. By His grace alone we are saved, it tells us. Then in verses 6 and 7, he describes our position in Christ in order to bring glory to his name, right? And then verses 8 and 9 reiterate that it's by grace through faith, faith being God's gift to us in order to be able to grasp and understand the power of his saving grace, that, that there's nothing that we ever did to obtain our salvation and there is nothing we do to maintain our salvation either. It is all a work of Christ through his death and his resurrection. But then verse 10 describes that this has all occurred in us in order that we would be used by God, yeah, by God in the good works that he has prepared for us to do. So we do have good works to do, right? And that means that we live lives that are reflective of his character, we, that, we, that we are about the things that God is about in the world. That we, we, we participate in those things that God wants us to participate in. 
and we don't participate in the things that God doesn't want us to participate in. Now, we're not perfect, and that's why God is full of grace and mercy, right? So this tells us good works are a result of salvation, not vice versa. We don't earn our way to God which produces in us a gratitude to walk in Him, walk with God, following His, his commandments, which, you know, which are still relevant to today, right? It didn't, the Ten Commandments didn't go away. It's not important anymore. They are very important for our, our lives today as Christians. But many of us don't think about that too much. And we do this all under His grace, as I said, since we will not and we won't, you know, we won't do this perfectly, but it doesn't mean that we don't strive towards it, right? Remember, we are not free to do as we please. That is not true freedom. We've talked about that in past weeks, and we've talked about that quite often here at 6-8. We're not free to just do as we please. That's not true freedom. That's actually slavery to sin once more, just to be able to do whatever I want to do in life. But rather, we, come, we become what we were originally intended to be. We live as we were originally intended to be. People created in the image of God that is reflective of Him and our relationship to Him and in our relationship with others, which speaks of integrity, integrity of faith. Being people of our word, so to speak. People who don't just say that we have integrity, but actually people that have integrity, right? Living out of what we say we believe and what we value in life. Now turn with me to our parallel passage in the New Testament to the third commandment, Matthew chapter 5, page 660 in your pew Bibles. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse 33. Uh, and this speaks of vows and oaths, or oath, like making an oath. Oaths is hard to say. It's going to put like T-H and the Z at the end. But um, anyway, so Jesus speaks of vows and, and making an oath here. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear on an, an oath at all, either about heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head. For you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to do need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And what does that say to us? It says that there's this sense of being sober about ourselves, right? That we know our limitations. It it speaks against pride. It speaks against dishonesty. Not making promises that we can't keep or we, we don't even think we will keep, right? Having integrity in what we say and do. Simply yes, simply no. People who make big promises but never follow through are what Seinfeld might call big talkers. Remember how he used to give labels about people, right? <laughs> he, he, might, you might, he may have called them big talkers. I don't know if they had a, ever had an episode on big talkers, but... But no one trusts a big talker, right? Nobody, nobody puts value in their words or in what they will do. Nobody believes that they will follow through on their promises. And no one wants to be a big talker in this world, do we? I don't. We want to be viewed as trustworthy people, people whose actions match what they, their words say, 
Remembering that what we do and we say should reflect God's character. Wow, what a word to the world right now, right? How much do, can we trust anything that we're hearing right now? It's a sad state of affairs that we live in. And we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the world. The Jews of Jesus' day had put an interesting twist on all of this, right? Like us, they had trouble telling the truth consistently. And so in order to guard themselves against being found guilty of swearing falsely against the name of God, it seems that they had like, sort of firmly established this habit of, of swearing by everything except God. Right, So they, they wanted to add some kind of force to their words or force to their promises to make their more, words more credible or more believable or whatever. But they didn't want to incur the, the judgment of God by swearing something in His name if they didn't really fully intend to make, it, make good on it or, or when it wasn't entirely true in the beginning. They wanted to have their cake and they wanted to eat it too, just like we do in the news and everything else these days. So they created, in effect, what was a lesser class of oath, right? Oaths that were bound to various parts of God's creation instead of God himself. James Montgomery Boyce uh, refers to this practice as evasive swearing. Evasive swearing. To take his name in vain means to invoke his name in an empty way, or a light way, or a profane way, right? To use it without humbly acknowledging the holy character of the one in whose name you are invoking. That's a big deal. To invoke the name of God in an oath or a vow when when your statement is false or when you don't intend to honor your words is a direct violation of the third commandment. Think about how often we do that. How often we represent God in this way. To invoke the name of God over a trivial or inconsequential matter uh, is also a violation of the third commandment as well because taking the name of the Lord in vain uh, includes taking it lightly, treating it as common or trivial. Think back to Exodus 20, verse 7. The Hebrew word for for vain there is shav. It, it, It means lying. It means deceitful. It means meaningless. God is saying he doesn't want his people to use his name in a way that is dishonest. And this means we need to be very careful with how we use God's name in everyday speech. And we don't want to present or represent God in a way which is dishonest or disingenuous or flippant in action or word, right? This dictates that we need to be steeped in his word. We need, to, we need to really spend time in it. Let it marinate in us. Be transformed by it in our lives. If we're not in the habit of doing that, if we're not in the habit of having a quiet time and letting God's word into our hearts, that is God's out, revealed word to us from the outside, right? And we have to have that seep out into our lifestyle, seep out in how we're living. This is why Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy 
of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, that is very reminiscent. It's almost parallel to Ephesians 2. You know, he says the same things in different ways, and maybe not as clearly focusing on certain issues, but much of it is the same thought. And you find, when you really study the Scriptures, that there's really a theme running through it, or a few themes running through it, that just come up over and over again, and said in different ways. Because they are important for life, right? God wants us to remember that there is meaning in his name, that it's not just any name that we espouse. So when we use his name, we want to make sure that we reflect a, a proper deference to him, right? Whenever you're reading your Bible and you see the word Lord in capital letters, that is a, a, an example of the editor's nod showing respect to God's name. And in, in, in these instances, in the Hebrew Scripture, God's actual personal covenant name is being used. But we don't really see that, and we don't read it that way because we don't even translate His name there rightly. God says in verse 2 of Exodus 20, Here is my name. I'm the one who did the delivering. I'm the one who did the rescuing of you. And now He's saying, don't use my name incorrectly. Show respect, right? So think about it. Does your tongue show respect of God? Does your tongue show respect towards God? Be careful with what you say, right? Be careful with what you say. James tells us in his book to tame our tongues because of how dangerous we can be with our tongues, with our mouths, right? He starts out, he says, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. A tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. Now, just recently, I think a couple of weeks ago, we had a forest fire in New Jersey because some guys were partying in the woods someplace and a spark got loose from their campfire and burnt down acres and acres of woods in the Pine Barrens. We usually don't have forest fires in the Northeast, right? We, it's pretty wet out there, so we usually don't have great forest fires. But Kim and I, when we were backpacking in uh, the John Muir Trail in California, it was like I, I understood then how my neighbor who had moved from California was so nervous about forest fires all the time because just a little spark, man, that whole place goes up. I've, I've backpacked through... Uh, areas in, in Colorado where it's just black. Everything's just black and burnt because, because of these forest fires, just little sparks. Somebody was careless with a little spark, and acres and acres, thousands upon thousands of acres are just burnt away. I hike for days going through this. It's just very interesting. You know, you, you tend to want to be in really beautiful places when you backpack, but it's also very valuable, and it's a spiritual sort of whatever, you know, uh, axiom or illustration when you when you have to backpack through a desert or a, or a or just a burnout area for a day two days at a time it reminds you something about life right 
But, you know, we, I think all of us have seen how quick relationships can be destroyed, you know, in a second with the misuse of our tongue. How just right away, just a careless word can destroy relationships, can, can break apart a whole organization. Who can, a little spark from our tongue can destroy our careers in a second these days, right? We look at that and we think how important it is to think about how we communicate, what we say, what God is calling us to be. We've all experienced that. We've all seen that, right? So it continues. It, it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it's, itself is set on fire by, by hell, right? Those are intense words. Verse 2 of James 3, it compares the tongue to this small rudder of a ship which can steer a giant ship, right? It's just a little tiny rudder in this giant huge ship, and it, it turns that ship wherever it goes. How powerful, how influential are our tongues? I remember sitting with the sultan, 78 years old he was when I was sitting there with him, in the village out in Lampung, Indonesia. After having given him, given him a Bible, I wasn't sure if he had ever really read it. And I was praying for him and talking to him quite often about these things. And at one point, I was sitting there with him flippantly talking trash about something I shouldn't have been talking about. And, and, and this Muslim sultan chided me with that very verse. He said, ah, your tongue's like a rudder of a giant ship. I'm like, where'd you hear that from? He goes, I've been reading that book you gave me. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, oh, thanks a lot. But I was, I, you know, I was convicted when he said that. I was very convicted, but I was also really glad that he was reading his Bible, so that was a good thing. But, but God wants us to show respect to his name. You know, it's like me, if, if my kids, you know, I raise them to be honest, hardworking, not to be profane, to, 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 to treat wi women with respect if they are my sons, and to treat men with respect if they are my daughters, and all this stuff. And what if they grow up, and they're like 32 years old, and they go to jail because they raped somebody, or they, they stole a bunch of money, and you can never understand or, 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 or trust anything they say. That would not be reflective of my name. They carry my name. They walk around and represent me. In American culture, we're, we're way too individualistic. We think that everything that we do does, is just disconnected from everybody else. But, you know, it, if Keith stood up here this morning and said, fr French, F you, Jason, I hate you, blah, 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 just, just stood up and did that in the middle of this room, what would that do to us? Right? You got to think about these things. If, if you know, let, Jessica's new. I'll, I'll pick on her. <laughs> if she, if she, she comes along and then she, two years from now, she's still at church and she starts just gossiping around about everybody. You know, telling, oh, I don't, you know, the, they said this, they said this, but it wasn't, none of it was true. What would that do to us? Sorry, Jessica, you're new and I shouldn't pick on you. Right? But these things are important, but I digress. Um, so we have to show respect to, to his name, not both in how we use it, but also in how we reflect him in using it, right? Uh, we can show that we're thankful to him for his rescue, right? By not putting him down, by not misusing his name or saying things inappropriately about him, 
using, or using his name as a curse instead of a blessing. Think about the overwhelming tendency to complain or gossip or deride others just to make ourselves look good or feel better, showing contempt for God's creation. And now we have access to millions of people through social media, just blah, 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 you know, just destroy somebody's reputation. It's, it's, It's insane. God wants us to respect him in speech and in lifestyle. God's name is his reputation, right? He acts for the sake of his name, Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 9. He leads us for the sake of his name, Psalm uh, 23, verse 3. God even saves us for the sake of his name, Psalm 106, verse 8. So this all shows how important God's name is to him. But how often do we, in the course of our lives, participate in or hear others cheapen God's name so flippantly? They cheapen it by turning it into a crucial, uh, turning such a crucial element of his character into little more than, you know, expression of anger or pain or frustration. And in doing that, we take the Lord's name in vain. But again, not taking God's, or God's name in vain is more than simply avoiding cursing with it. You know, that's the easy, you know, teaching here. Remember, the, the word vain in Hebrew can also mean thoughtless or meaningless. We don't want simply to have a religion of going through the motions of, and thoughtlessly praying to God, you know, as, as a mere form of lip service at all. The actual name of God is His personal covenant name. We often regard it as a great treasure, or we should regard it as a great treasure to even be able to be in relationship with the God of the universe, especially because of our rebellion. We don't just like we don't want to go through the motions of our in our personal relationships with others, uh, with friends, with family, that kind of thing. So, so too, God doesn't want us to merely sort of go through the motions in our relationship with Him. So not taking God's name in vain means that we live a life of integrity. Just as Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? That's a, that's a hard sentence. It's a hard question. Lord, Lord! And then you leave here and do whatever you want. That's, that's something that we really have to think about these days. Acknowledging that God is our creator, the creator of the universe, that we belong to him, that he is our Lord, so we follow him as our Savior, and we are grateful to him for his grace and mercy, which brings about our salvation. Therefore, living a life which completely contradicts him is another way of taking God's name in vain. If he is Lord, then shouldn't we do what he says? And if not, how's that honoring of his name at all? Brennan Manning says, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. 
There is a lot of talk right now that the church, across the board, the church is going to grow smaller and not larger. And that people are asking, is this going to be a quick blizzard of a time for the church? Is it going to be a long winter or is it going to be an ice age? And the consensus is that it's going to be an ice age. That it's going to be a time when God purges the church of those who really don't care. And he's going to strengthen the faith and the lives of those who do care. We're paying the price for not listening all these years. And I'm not picking on you as individuals. I'm saying as a, as a corporate whole. How many senior pastors have you heard about in the news that have fallen in just the past two years? An insane number. These churches are, are falling apart. And the sad thing is that there are plenty of Christians out there that are really walking with the Lord well. But you don't hear that. Negative news is multiplied by thousands, thousands. You tell thousands, but positive news, you might tell one, right? So it just negative news travels like wildfire, doesn't it? Our tongues just share it. By the act of living a life devoid of integrity, we dishonor God's name. And we fail, we, we fail in our mission to be the witness to the, the nations of the world about the risen Savior. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, every Christian's call. That is all of our calling. And we know that, you know, we want to live out of our hearts. We want to be convinced by the love of Christ and live out of our hearts. But behavior can feed the heart as well. But the heart certainly feeds behavior, right? You don't do anything that you don't desire so you want to, to live out of de- a desire for God. But sometimes we need some training. It works both ways. But sometimes just outwardly practicing something reminds our heart of greater meaning. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. You know, I won't say that now, right? Hopefully bringing a, that, that brings us to this point of muscle memory of our hearts, that we become more and more like Christ, and we start to live out of this more and more without even thinking about it instead of out of our own desires, right? So we focus on the goal of godly lives from godly hearts. But we will not speak truth in our hearts if we're not in love with the one who is the truth, right? So let's be truthful people because we hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, like David Ask God to, you know, renew his heart. You know, let me be, be after your own heart, right? Let's be truthful people because we, we, are, we have been recreated. Uh, he has recreated us to be pure in heart. Let's be truthful people because we desire to be salt and light in this world which desperately, 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 and always from the beginning of the time needs our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're no worse off now than we ever have been. People are no worse off now in the face of eternity than they ever have been. Let's be truthful people because we long to live out this lovely character of the one who gave us life at the cost of his own life's blood. Let's be truthful people because we are our Father's children. We represent our Father in this world. And we really need no other reason than those. I'm going to open us up in prayer, and then I want to give you a minute of silence. If you feel like you're, you're convicted in any way, conviction should bring joy, right? 
We should be joyfully convicted. We want to l- unload this stuff. We want to we leave it at the foot of the cross. We want to be freed from it. So if you feel like you've just been flippant in your attitude towards Jesus, you've been flippant in how you've, how you've lived and you haven't really been re- representing them well, uh, if, you've been, if you've been avoiding the conversations with people that you need to have conversations with, all that stuff, are, are you representing your Father? If you don't feel like you have been, just, just confess it. Unload it on Him. And by the way, I would love to talk to you about that if you want, if you want more, more further direction and all that stuff. But let me open us up, uh, open us up in prayer, and then I'll give you about a minute to, to uh, sort of be uh, confessional your, yourself, and then I'll close us in that. Holy Spirit, we come before you, and we ask that you would convict our hearts, that you would dislodge those things in us that are standing in, a way, in the way of us uh, being fully given over and, 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 and glorifying your name in all ways. We don't want to be the reason why someone would point the finger and say that's not worth anything. We want to be people of truth, of passion, who live out of the desire to walk with our Lord. Holy Spirit, whatever it is that's tugging at each one of our hearts, I pray that you would continue to minister to us in that way. That you would pull and tug at the knots that we've put ourselves in. That you would gently and mercifully untie those knots, straighten out the crooked, mend and heal wounds, We pray for maturity, spiritual maturity. We pray for emotional maturity. We pray that you would (laughs) destroy the COVID mind in us. All this stuff that has just kind of built up over the last few years. We pray that you would give us what we need, even if we don't understand what we need. We pray that we would be confessional people walking well with you and representing you well in this world. Not because we can conjure anything, but just because we have a Father who loved us enough to send his own and only Son into the world that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. We thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
we are going to uh, end this with, uh, wow, I went long, sorry, uh, <laughs> with uh, communion today. Um, at 6-8, we typically uh, do this throughout the rest of the service. So if you, if you want to sit and pray and uh, for a little while and come up, you know, at some point uh, bef- before the service is over, even after the service is over, you can do that. Uh, just come on up, take the, the bread and dip it yourself. And, um, and, uh, but we do ask that you would do that prayerfully. And we do ask that uh, if you're just observing, if you haven't made that decision to walk with the Lord, just observe. This is what we do. This is something that we as believers do uh, to be reminded of Christ's sacrifice. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he was, had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's what we do here now, Lord Jesus. We come to this table as a community of believers, as a family of faith, confessing you, confessing what you did, your body broken, your blood shed, for the sake of the world. That thing you know, that you said on the cross in your last breath to tell us die that it is finished, meaning the debt is paid. The debt is paid. You paid that debt for our sin, and we are so grateful that we have a God of such great grace and mercy that would lead us in this way. In Christ's name we pray.